0: rebel author podcast where we talk about books business and occasionally bad words Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 140 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to none other than Elena Johnson, all about writing and marketing systems. But first, to last week's question, which was tell me something you're proud of. So, Jackson Hollingsworth said, It may not seem like a lot, but I'm proud of finishing my first chapter. I've been researching and outlining a lot, and it's nice to finally get into the substance of the story, already getting great and useful feedback from my critique partners. So yeah, well done. That is a huge mammoth achievement. I kind of feel like every single chapter and every single scene that you complete is a big achievement because they're all mini milestones in what will eventually be a gigantic uh, goal complete as you finish that book. So well done, you. Shane Miller says, loved how much you loved this episode, Sasha. I'm proud that I've published four books since January and holy shit, that is a monster achievement. Huge congratulations for smashing those out. So this week's question is, what do you want to learn more about? And I suppose for me specifically, I am going to continue my journey down the strengths wormhole uh, and everybody's rig. And I think, I don't know, like I feel like just across the board, I am... I'm always going to be a student. I love learning. So I will always want to learn more about craft, learn more about marketing. Um, So yes, I think romance specifically is probably where I'm going to focus my learning for the rest of this year. And maybe mindset too, but I'll update that in a second. The book recommendation of the week this week is I Kissed Shara Wheeler by Casey McQuiston. I have less than a hundred pages to go, I think. Something like that. Um, So I've read most of the book and it is so good. It is a, um, like a MacGuffin mystery, got to find the girl kind of a story um, and found friends. And it's just, Casey McQuiston wrote One Last Stop and that was amazing as well. She has this really unique way with detail. Like her books are so detailed, but still bingeable and still quick reads. It's really interesting. I don't know quite how she's done it. So I definitely want to like deconstruct it and figure out. About, uh, how she's done it. But yeah, I'm really, really enjoying this story. So I highly recommend that. So in my personal update, um, it's been a weird kind of a week because I finished uh, the anatomy of a bestseller last week and that went off to my uh, critique partners so I haven't had a project specifically that I'm working on so my days have felt a bit weird um I have been working on rebel reader masterclass uh presentations I've been doing admin catching up my I've managed to keep my inbox below 10 for over like four days which is just unbelievable um what else have I been working on? I have started planning the new series and I started reading the words that I've already written in the center death last night as well, not last night. Yeah, anyway, the last couple of days I've been doing that. So um, it's, it, yeah, it's kind of felt like a strange week because I feel like I haven't really made any progress on anything, um, but that said, I'm very, feeling very mixed. I have been struggling. I think I told you last week that I was struggling with kind of mindset and feeling doubt and imposter syndrome. And it hasn't really gone away, which is unusual. Usually I'm sort of able to kick its ass and tell it to fuck off and then I just get on with things. And I have been getting on with things, but I think because I haven't been working dedicated on a project because obviously... I'm going to New York on Saturday. It doesn't make any sense to start a project now and you'd to have to leave it for a week. Yeah, I don't know. I just I feel strongly that I need to sort my shit out because my brain right now is telling me that the idea for the scent of death is shit, that the words don't work that I've written, that I need to throw it all away, and then, you know, I've sort of planned four or five books in this new series very loosely like i have not done loads of detailed planning or anything um and my brain's like the tropes are shit the story's shit this isn't unique enough like oh it's so boring i'm so bored of myself and my brain uh but this just seems to be what i'm like (laughs) at this point in the journey i don't know why i don't know if it's because i haven't started and so therefore i'm not really into it and it hasn't sort of hooked me and maybe I'll the momentum will, will carry me through once I get started. But yeah, suffering with more doubt than I feel like I've suffered with in a really long time. So I'm not quite sure what has brought that on, but I need to do a bit of work on that. So as for the next week, I mean, today is Thursday, the 26th of May, and I am getting on a plane on Saturday, the 28th of May. So next week I will be doing Nothing work wise. (laughs) I will be filling my brain with inspiration from all the things that we see in New York and Washington. And uh, so, yeah, it it will be a week away. The next episode, uh, actually, this episode will air whilst I am in America. And then the following week's episode, I'm going to record today as well. So there won't be as many kind of intro notes for next week. Um, But Uh, that's because I will be away when I would have normally recorded it. So yeah, a couple of weeks where you'll, I guess I'll kind of be in limbo. um, And then hopefully I will be back and I will be smashing out the edits on the anatomy of a bestseller and then cracking on with the fiction. And I hope that I come back. I, I really can't tell you how much I need this rest. Like, I feel a bit broken at the moment. I'm so... I don't know. Like it's not like I feel tired right this second, but I feel weary, like my soul feels a bit weary. Uh so yeah, I'm really very much looking forward to this break and yeah, I don't think I'm going to update on anything else because I'm just going to talk round and round in circles. Alright, the Rebel of the Week this week is Alison Carroll. For as long as I can remember, my mum said that my sisters and I should only trim our hair about every other month to keep it healthy, and continuously denied our requests whenever we asked if we could do anything new to it. I, for one, got sick of hearing this, and as it's been said before, hair does grow back, so why not have some fun with it? By By the time I was 17, I knew it was time to do something about my hair predicament. Much to my mother's dislike on this topic, I did have my own money to do with as I wished. My first task was to find a new stylist and wow... Did I ever? She put fuel to the fire and suggested I go with red or copper lowlights to go with my blonde hair. The end result was even better than I could have imagined. Not only did my friends, dance teachers and sisters love it, but I actually got my mum and dad to say that it looked nice and fit the fall season as well. Ah, hell yes. To take that a step further, two years later, I cut off my waist-length hair to what was essentially a bob. Uh, bobcat that time my mum even went with me to see it done holy crap that is amazing I can't believe the turnaround that you got your (laughs) mum you even got your mum to go with you that is one hell of a rebellion I also did something very similar I have very very curly hair uh, sort of telephone wire ringlet type hair and uh, my mum loved my hair when I was a child and didn't want me to have it cut off uh, whilst I was living in her house. So like I hadn't been to a hairdressers before I was 18. And then uh, when I went to university, I went up to visit an old school friend at, at Leeds University and had a couple of pints and was like, fuck it, let's go and get my hair cut off. So literally I went from like waist length hair to like a, a pixie, co- pixie cut that was very close to my head. And my mum... I think, I think I remember my mum being a bit tearful. (laughs) She didn't take it as well. (laughs) Oh, I do love the hair rebellions. If you'd like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, something from history, something current. It can be an animal rebellion for all, for for everybody to enjoy. It could be a sibling or a spouse or a a mum or a dad or a whatever, Um, you can email your rebel story to Becca on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. A huge thank you to all my existing patrons this week. No new patrons, but as always, a gigantic hug and massive love and appreciation from me to all of my existing patrons. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes as well as a ton of bonus content, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. This week's episode is sponsored by the ever amazing Pro Writing Aid. So, rather than me tell you why I love Pro Writing Aid, I am going to let one of my amazing patrons uh, tell you all about it. So, Lynn is published in the Rebel Author Diaries. So, if you would like to uh, see a little bit of her writing, then you can by purchasing a copy of the Rebel Diaries. All right, Lynn, over to you.
1: Pro Writing Aid isn't just for your manuscript. Don't get me wrong, it's great for that, but it's also for your website content, your newsletter, and your social media posts. You can copy and paste any text into the web editor or use one of its many software integrations so you can edit anything and everything you ever type. Because let's face it, you can't really copy edit your own work, you miss something. And I, for one, am fed up of crafting my messaging, hitting tweet, and immediately spotting the typo. There's nothing left to do then but curse the Twitter gods for not giving us an edit button. Pro Writing Aid is an editing tool for formal reports to Instagram posts. Not only does it help with catching those annoying typos, but it flags when I've slipped into using passive voice and it suggests fixes and explains the problem so that I can learn for the future and write better content.
0: Okay, that's enough from me today. Uh, because there won't be as much of an intro next week, from me to you, I hope you have a smashing couple of weeks and you crack out loads of words. I'd love to hear about what you all get done in the next couple of weeks. So for, for now, until I'm back, have an amazing writing week. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I am basically pee my pants excited today because I have the one and only Elena Johnson. Elena is a USA Today best-selling and Amazon Kindle all-star author. She writes clean and wholesome contemporary romance. She is is well-known for her young adult dystopian romance series uh, published by Simon Pulse. She writes clean beach romance and Alana also writes inspirational Western romances under the USA Today best-selling pen name of Liz Isaacson. Elena is the force behind Indie Inspiration, of which I'm part of the Facebook group, which I will link to in the show notes. And you can find her amazing books for writers, uh, writing and releasing rapidly, writing killer cover copy, among others, on all of the stores so I will put all of those links in the show notes and hello and welcome thank you so much for joining me
2: yes I'm so excited to be here thank you for having me on the podcast it's exciting
0: before we kind of dive into the questions and some of uh, like the content from like the the questions I have from your books I wondered if you could first tell everyone a little bit about like your journey how did you end up where you are um today
2: Yeah, when I saw that question, I was like, wow, this could be like the whole podcast, right? (laughs) Um, I've been writing for about 15 or 16 years now, so quite a while. Um, I started in TradPub. I got an agent in 2009, um, and my first book came out from Simon & Schuster in 2011. That was my young adult uh, dystopian stuff. Um, I've kind of deviated away from there um, since then. I've probably walked about 50 different paths in publishing, maybe a hundred, um, including this indie route and switching genres and doing pen names and trying different marketing things. And that's what I love to do the most. And I found the most success on this indie route. And so that's what I do full-time now I've, uh, retired from my job. Um, and that's what I do is run my publishing business and, and write the books full-time. And so. It's been quite the journey of of kind of going through, kind of starting writing when Kindles were brand new. I think the Kindle came out in 2007. So I started writing in 2008, just after that. And you know, self-publishing and indie publishing was not really a thing um, until a little bit later. And just, it fits my personality. It fits my writing schedule. It just fits my life and I love doing it. So kind of been all over the place uh, with hybrid publishers, one contests, trad pub, and now I'm mostly indie. I have, uh, haven't done anything with a traditional publisher in quite a
0: while. So that's what I'm loving and doing right now. And one of the most amazing things you do is the like generous amount of content and information that you give back to the indie community as well. Like, let's not forget that. And and that is, of course, how I found you. And I read and loved the uh, writing and marketing systems book. And that's kind of where I want to base the conversation and a little bit about your recent uh, Vegas talk as well. So you have extensive systems in place. They are awe inspiring and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you even approached it like how do you you talk in the book a bit about how to actually assess and I think that first starting point is quite overwhelming if you don't really know how to do it so how, could you talk about that um yeah like how do you go through that initial setup and assessment phase
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, I used to teach elementary school, so I love teaching and I love, you know, kind of saying what works for me, which is why I love sort of giving back. But, um, and that's kind of why I wrote the indie books is I'm like, this is how I do what I do. Cause I get a lot of people asking me, well, how do you do this? How do you write so fast? How do you get so much done? Blah, 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 blah. And as I was thinking about it and, and really like trying to figure out like what I do, I'm like, well, I have systems and, um, when I first started writing, obviously you don't have a system. Most of us don't have a system. We're writing and we think it's fun. And we have a couple of hours after our day job or something like that, or a couple of hours where all kids are asleep or, you know, something. Um, and we're just doing it. And then all these other tasks sort of come onto us outside of the writing. Um, and so as that happened to me, I had a very limited amount of time, in my day. I was working a day job. I had young children. I had deadlines with publishers. I was writing a lot anyway, but I think the systems are super vital. And I think most of us probably function better inside some sort of parameters for our day, our schedule, our hours that we have available. When we go to a uh, day job, most of us have tasks that have to be done by a certain time. We have somebody we have to report to. Uh, we have all kinds of things that we have to do in a certain amount of time or by a deadline or something like that. So I didn't have very much time. My writing time was very small and very precious. And I learned over time that I work in a certain way that is best and quickest for me. So as you're thinking about setting up a system and I have lots of different systems, Uh, so like I have a system for my newsletters and I have a system for my drafting and I have a system for my outlining and I have a system for my editing. So when I say writing and marketing systems, and that was a book that, you know, I kind of came onto the radar with that book. Um, I had other books out before that and I was doing well before that, but when that book came out, I think people were like, who is this girl? (laughs) Because I think, I hope it's really a practical way for you to go, how can I do what I'm doing in less time, right, so that I have more time with my family, more time to be a person, and I'm not working 16 hours a day because I think a lot hey, of writers- That's a thing that we
0: can, we can do that if we cannot work 16 hours? <laughs> yeah, right?
2: Because I think a lot of people who work for themselves like we do, we can work 24 hours a day and still never be done with anything. And you can get to overwhelm really, really quickly. So if you're like, I need a system, um, the very first thing that I tell people that they have to do is you have to track what you do. So, and I think this kind of bleeds into your next question. So I don't know if I'll answer them both, but you should go into setting up a system with zero expectations for what you can do. So you might think to yourself, that's hard. That's really hard.
0: But I have such high expectations all of the time.
2: (laughs) And a lot of us can go, well, I can write, let's say 2000 words a day. I know I can do that. And I'm like, but do you, do you know you can do that? And if you do, how long does that take you? So does that take you an hour? Does that take you five hours? Um, What's the best time of day for you to do that? Do you know when you can do that the quickest? Uh, I ask people that, um, I always ask them, do you do it seven days a week or can you do three or four? Like, so I think that really you have to go back to zero and you have to go, I have no expectations for what I'm going to do, but I'm going to keep track of it. So I tell people 30 to 60 days, I think 60 is, is better because you can find more patterns in your own life and in your own productivity when you track for you know seven weeks, seven, eight, however many weeks that is. Six weeks, eight weeks, something. 30 days, one month is only four weeks. So it's better if you have more weeks to look at. So uh, that's what I did. I downloaded and I just have a simple spreadsheet and I know people freak out about spreadsheets. You don't need to freak out about it. It's all set up for you already. I downloaded it for free and I put a link in my indie group and I can send um, you a link, Sasha, so you can put that on your in the notes as well, but, and you can donate to this person that, but they make these links of these sheets every year. My sheet this year is Bridgerton. So I go into it every day and all I'm tracking right now is words. And so um, I just track words, but when I began, I tracked time as well. So I would say I wrote 5,000 words. It took me three hours and I would kind of keep track of I wrote it. I wrote these five thousand words in these three hours between 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. because it's not necessarily going to be three hours condensed. You know, I might get up and go to the bathroom, or take a break, or have to let the dogs out, or whatever. But between seven and eleven, I think I wrote for about three hours, and it, I got these five thousand words. So I learned as I kept track of those things. I learned when I was writing. I learned how much I could do in in what amount of time. And I discovered patterns in my own productivity. So if we're talking about writing, um, like producing content, then you track it. And I mean, I track, I still track these things now, but I track Also in the little note. So there's lots of columns in the sheet, but I just put in the words and the time. And then over on the right hand side, there's a big, long column for you to write notes. And I will write in there. I still do. Like yesterday I did it. I was like, I think my note yesterday was admin for days didn't write until 8 p.m. So,
0: it know, for just days helps, feels like such a big part of my life. <laughs>
2: right. And I think a lot of us feel like that we have all these administrative tasks on top of the writing. And so, um, and some days I don't do admin hardly at all. And so that's not a note. But other days I'm like, I've been doing admin for five hours. And then I, I still need to write. And so then I wrote for three hours and that's my eight hour day. And I really have gotten my days down to about eight hours. And I don't really work more than that um, anymore. And it's been really nice. And some days I don't work that much at all. I work three or four hours a day. And some days I only work one hour a day. So it just depends on what your system is that you have set up for yourself. But um, I think you should track it. Yeah, so I love I was- I was, and I was tracking everything. I'd be like, I have a church activity that, you know, went from seven to nine. I'm super tired today because I didn't sleep very well last night. Um, my dog threw up all night, so I'm exhausted. I mean, I tracked it all and I think you should do that. That's what I tell people to do for 36 days, And I do it at the end of every evening. I'm like, okay, what, what was my workout count today? What did I do today? And I kind of just type it out. It's really quickly. It's like one Uh, you know, it's just a few words. And from that, I see patterns in my, in my life. I see what days I'm tired. I see what times of day I'm more distracted. So I like to work during the day, because as soon as my husband comes downstairs at night, um, and he puts something on the TV, I can write a chapter, but it will take me five hours. Yep. (laughs) Whereas if I'm working during the day, I can write a chapter in, you know, 35 minutes. So it just depends on should I can be working while the movie is on, but is writing really the best task or is a better thing to do while the movie is on create, you know, admin tasks and paying people and responding to emails. Like, when is the best time to do the tasks that need to be done? Um, And then that kind of goes under my column of when I have good intentions, but the others, and I capitalized others in my notes, that could be children, husband, dogs, extended family, sicknesses, whatever, in your life, blow it all up. So I've learned over time that I want to work on Saturday, but Saturday is a day that could get blown up at any moment and I have to be prepared for that. So I typically don't schedule myself to do, you know, 10,000 words on a Saturday. It's just not in my lifestyle to do that. So, and then my lifestyle is not going to look like yours and it's not going to look like anybody else's. So that's why you have to track for yourself and you have to, know what you can do and look for those patterns and, and then play to those strengths. So I noticed just really quickly, cause I talk a lot, but I noticed in my own patterns when I was doing this, that Thursday was a very, very difficult day for me to write. I was teaching school third. I'm, you know, I'm tired by Thursday and I'm writing a lot Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, cause I take every Sunday off. So Sunday is a complete off day for me. I usually work for about an hour on Sunday and that's it. So And it's all admin set up for the week, social media newsletters. That's all I do on Sundays. Um, But by Thursday, I'm exhausted. And I was, I noticed in my spreadsheet that I had a zero every Thursday. And the notes on Thursday were, I'm so tired. I'm so glad tomorrow's Friday. I, you know, I'm just exhausted. I stared at my Kindle for hours playing games. I scrolled on Facebook for two hours. Like i just am dead on Thursdays. So guess what? I'm not going to put any writing on Thursdays because all that's going to do is set me up for failure. And when we feel like a failure, then that affects what we're doing. And then we're like, eh. I kind of equate it to dieting. Like, ah, oh, I had a piece of chocolate that's over for today. You know? <laughs> so,
0: yeah. I love that. So- I, am. Um, it's funny because I, I, I have always tracked word count for, for years. I have tracked word count, but I haven't ever been like, <clears throat> Uh, What's the word? I have like a lot of uh, missing words at the moment, but I haven't uh, tracked more detail than just word count. And that uh, like as you were talking, I was like, you know, there are definitely times where I am more distracted, where I definitely keep like. Like I have to shut the email, otherwise I will just scroll the email instead of writing the words. So I mm-hmm. definitely I feel inspired to go away and like put a bit more detail on my on my tracking system. But it's funny. I started a new tracking system this year and uh, that tracks days of the week. So I now know the amount of words per day of the week. I don't get any words on a Thursday. <gasps> and isn't, I, that isn't it? Isn't it? No, yeah. words. Like, and, no words like, and and, and and I think it's partly because quite often I will slot a meeting in on a Thursday, but I think I'm doing that subconsciously because I know I'm bollocks. So yeah. like, it's like, yes. but, but, right. So yeah. just lean into it, I suppose. Yes, <laughs> just, that's what, that's what I think you should do. You shouldn't go,
2: Oh, well, Thursday is a huge waste of my day. Like, Oh, I'm such a bad person. Cause I don't do anything on Thursday. I'm a terrible author, you know? No, you go, I can't write on Thursdays, so that's my mental break from my story, and I'm going to do other things on Thursdays. I'm going to lean into it, like you said, Um, and I've realized that about myself on Monday too because most of I take most of the weekend off. I will write on Saturday and do a few things, but it's usually four or five hours, and then Sunday is nothing, so when I come back on Monday, I have a lot of tasks that need to be done. I have a lot of admin. So I always schedule Monday as a lighter writing day for myself.
0: Ah, interesting. Right?
2: Okay. I lean into it. And then because you know what? At the end of the day, I want to feel like a success because success breeds more success. When I feel like I killed today, I got my 5000 words. I did all my admin tasks. I can I can go to sleep then I'm not laying in bed wondering why I can't go to sleep because I have all these things on my lists that I didn't finish. I finished them all, you know. And then on Tuesday I go, okay, I'm going to write 10,000 words on Tuesdays and I'm going to write 10,000 words on Wednesday. And then I'm going to go back down to, I'm going to try for two chapters on Thursday. And always on Thursday, I say, try for two chapters. I don't say write two chapters. Like, I try for it. If I can get it great. If I can't, then I'm like, well, I tried,
0: you know, Chad. I love that. (laughs) Uh, And that, that kind of like and I'm jumping a question, but that kind of leads really well into one of the things that I loved in your book, which was about the permission that you give. Like you empower writers the whole way through the book to be like, if it doesn't work for you, oh, well, don't do it. Or like, if this works for you, do that. And like, that's one of the things that I think we get so there are lots of really loud voices in the community and we get so caught up and think we have to do this or we have to do that. And, and sort of Bringing it back to the systems, I think one of the things um, that we really struggled to do, and when I started outsourcing, I struggled with this, was just knowing, like, what even is it that we can hire out? So, like, can you talk about the process of how you started outsourcing? Like, when did you know the time was right? How did you know what to get rid of? Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure.
2: So I started, I knew I needed an assistant. Um, I was working, still teaching school and then, you know, working a full-time author job as well. I was working like 17, 18 hours a day. And, and I was just like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. I need help with some tasks that, you know, I just don't need to be touching. So, and then So that was about three years ago, coming up in three, three years in May, I think. And then last October, um, I hired people on full-time. So now I have three people in the business full-time besides myself. Um, So I have actually have two assistants, a full-time administrative assistant. My husband works for me full-time. And then I have another assistant who's about three quarters time. And then we have people that they manage underneath them as well. So, um, and that was a process to get to that, but it has been interesting seeing what else I can get rid of off my plate. And so this is how I was thinking about it. When I saw this question, I'm like, well, okay. When I first started hiring out tasks, the first thing I got rid of was setting up my newsletter. So think about what it takes to set up your newsletter. Like you have to get links, you have to pull covers, you have to get blurbs. It's a lot of copying and pasting. All right. and out there opening things and opening the cover and a new tab and dragging it to your desktop and all that stuff. I don't have to do that. Like that is not something that you, as the creator of books, needs to be doing, in my opinion. So that was my first. Like I, I can get rid of this. Um, so I think of it now as I'm the CEO of this company, and it's, it's not a huge company. It's a small business, but. Um, I'm the one with the ideas and I am the only one who can write the books. I am the only person who can create the products and the products are what make the most money. So I'm the one who makes the money for the business. I cannot make that money if I'm not doing the most important tasks. And for me and my business, that's writing the books. So it depends on how you have your business maybe set up. And of course, what you can afford to do and, and when I say that, I mean monetarily, of course, but I also mean mentally and emotionally. Some people have a hard time giving up tasks so, um, because they want to have control over that, they want to they want to touch all of it. So you have to kind of know yourself and know what is going to work for you inside your own mental and emotional sphere of what's okay inside your business.
0: You think so, that's a growth point, though, because yes. I would definitely class myself as a control freak until I actually started letting go, and then yes. when I started letting go, I was like whoa, I have all the time back like to do the important yep. shit. And then I was like, I, I'm gonna I'm carve that off. I'm gonna get rid of that, <laughs> get rid of that. Like, but it was such a, a shift. Yep. It, 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 yeah, like it really does
2: feel. It's, it's a huge shift and it's it will help you grow. But I also think that it also will teach you that there will be mistakes made the, the people that you rely on to do these other things are going to make mistakes. So they just are. But then you learn, well, my business didn't tank because they made a mistake. Oh, well, you know, and then it's to me, it's a training. I just train my people. I train my people to do what I want them to do. And when they don't do what I want them to do, then we work together to fix it and then they don't make that mistake again. Right. So it's a huge mindset shift in that regard too, that there's going to be some mistakes made, but that's okay. It it doesn't, it's not going to affect your business that much and you don't need to be touching it. So you just don't need to be touching it. So what I do is I I equate it to a hundred dollar an hour job. So I make a hundred dollars an hour. This is arbitrary amount of money. Okay. So you're the CEO, you make a hundred dollars an hour. So I look at every task inside my business and I evaluate it. And I think, is this worth my time? If I spend an hour on this, is this worth a hundred dollars or is this worth somebody else's time? Is this... I mean, that's super honest and arrogant, but I do the hundred dollar an hour tasks and my assistants do the $30 an hour tasks, right? I don't do the $30 an hour tasks and I don't do the $15 an hour tasks. I just don't. I'm in the corner office. I do the hundred dollar hour tasks. So it's not a good use of my time personally to be pulling links and pulling covers and setting up newsletter swaps and getting the newsletter ready to set out. So I have other people do that for me. My $100 is valuable in personalizing the newsletter. So my assistant gets it all ready. She does not schedule it. I have to schedule it. So that's a Sunday system. I do that every Sunday. I go into the newsletters that are going out that week. And I I decide what newsletters and what content is going out. But I have a sheet and it says, we're gonna share Otis chapter four. I mean, that's all it says. She pulls all the links. She gets the chapter, like she gets the cover. She does everything. She ty- she will type in all the personalized stuff and then I either go edit it or change it. She's been working with me for quite a long time now that literally she can write my newsletter because she's seen enough of what I've changed. She's read enough of my newsletters that she can be me if she needs to be. So my hundred dollars is spent personalizing that newsletter, putting a personal story behind it, um, you know, saying why I wrote that book, or I'm super excited about this chapter because, and then I respond to readers who uh, reply to those newsletters. That's my job. That's the hundred dollars an hour coming in is me making sure that I'm connecting to the reader and being the forward face of the brand right? So the assistants are not the forward face of the brand. They do all the work behind the forward face who is me, right? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does completely.
2: But but copying and pasting links, uh, that's not a hundred dollar an hour task, pulling a cover, setting up a swap, you know, organizing the the newsletters, um, organizing social media. I, I don't do any of that. So I started there. I started with getting rid of those things that, take time and pull you away from creativity and, you know, just are just kind of a drain on you emotionally to have to do all these tasks. And then I expand it out. So I do think authors should be on social media if they can stand it at all. So, um, the most important places for you and your readers, not all places, but I always ask myself, is this a hundred dollar an hour task making graphics? not a hundred dollar an hour tasks for me because there's tools, there's Canva templates, there's book templates. Anyone can do that. Can anyone write your books? Can anyone evaluate your ads? So almost all of my time is spent writing, outlining, editing, and evaluating advertising efforts. That's, that's what I do. So that's what I'm doing in the corner office, you know, eight hours a day. And then I have to manage my people. So that there's a lot of admin on that side too. I have to be like, you know i have to pay this audiobook person or whatever i have to i manage all of the the inner workings of the money but i don't make graphics i don't i don't schedule social media posts like i say that so disdainfully but i'm like I'm not gonna spend an hour scheduling things to go up in my Facebook group. That's not a hundred a dollar an hour task. So my assistants do that. Um, and I did spend a, quite a while writing those social media tasks for them and training them what I want and, and how many times per week we do certain things. Um, so, but that all came in like a standard operating procedure. Um, I've got training videos for lots of things, and you know, timelines for when we do things, what time we post, how we act, how we respond to people who are upset about this, that, the other, and then they text me if they have a question, if they can't handle it themselves. So. Um, we have, yeah, I have SOPs for everything that we do inside the business. It's just a system that I've developed over time to be able to give to my people and be like, this is, this is what I need you to do. And then they, they learn that, um, it's, it's heavily assisted in the beginning by me and then they take it over completely. So I love
0: all of this so much. It is so encouraging because definitely some of the things that you're saying, I've like done or, or I'm putting in place. So like, this is wildly encouraging. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it, it works the system works. Um, I have a question that has come from a patron uh, who also has high consistency um, and, and this is from Scott and Scott wanted to ask you about once you have put like a test system in place or a trial, you are um, working with something new. How do you know whether it's not whether or not it's working, how do you test it? How do you figure out like what bit to tweak, what bit to trial or test and change?
2: Yeah, so that is kind of a hard question because it's going to be so personal. But so I've got a system in place. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna I make my schedule every Saturday for the next week based on meetings I have, podcasts I'm doing, anything like that. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna write these many words. So you'll know if it's not working um, because you're not achieving the things that you set out to achieve with that system. So you'll know. Um if it's a, let's say it's a writing system and you're just not writing as much as you thought you could then you have to adjust that. And I would go back to tracking it and go okay, you know, maybe this was just a bad week and if it's a bad week you can throw that out in your tr- in your tracking. But give yourself, you know, 6 to 8 weeks to track it again and see if it's working. Um you know, everybody the common advice is sit down and write in the morning, first thing in the morning. I can't do that. So I spent many years feeling bad about myself that I didn't have you know, my writing done before noon, but it's just not how I work. So you have to just, I think it's so internal that I just go, This is this working for me? Am I getting things done in the manner that I need to get them done in? Or is it taking me longer? Do I not feel good about the process? Am I fighting with myself while doing it? I think most authors- mm-hmm know what it's like to fight with a book. Um, I mean, I just wrote a book that I literally fought with the main character, the entire 90,000 words. I was like, can you just please do what I have outlined for you to do? And he didn't want to do it. And so <laughs> I think most of us have, have had those you know, arguments with our creative muse, like he wants to do something else and I want him to do what I've outlined, please, I'm begging you. Um... So what I do in that moment when I know it's not working is I abandon the system. Like, I know that sounds terrible, but I just abandon it. I'm not going to try to work inside a system that is failing me Mm -hmm. because again, that's going to make me feel like a failure. And I think we don't want to feel like that as human beings. And especially as writers, where I think a lot of us experience some strong emotions we don't want to feel like that because then we don't want to get up the next day and do our job. It's, it's too hard to feel like a failure day in and day out. So I abandoned the system and I go, okay, well, I'm going to try something different. I've been writing at night. I'm not getting anything done. I'm distracted all night long because you know, that's when my husband is home or whatever. So I need to do something different. I'm going to completely flip flop. I'm going to try to, you know, set an alarm and get up and work in the morning. So I just I go okay, and if i can do that better then i'm like okay the time of the time of day was the thing that i needed to change and so now i found this really great time of day that works for me and i'm going to stick with that for as long as it's working and the reason i say for as long as it's working is because your system will morph and change over time mine changes about every three to four months just when I think oh my gosh this is my system this is how I'm I'm killing it I'm getting 14,000 words a day all hail
0: and then 14,000 words a day
2: (laughs) (laughs) and then you know I've done podcasts before where I'm like oh I write two books a day well I did that for like you know, six or eight months. And then I was like, I, I can't write two books a day anymore. That's too hard. I can't do that much, you know? So now I write one book a day. So that's another thing is as you're working through your systems, you will feel them start to change and that's okay. You have to be super flexible with your systems. Otherwise it will fail. And then you'll be like, oh, I don't know what this chick's talking about with her systems. These don't work, you know, so they, you have to be flexible with the system and they will morph and change over time as you continue to figure out what works best for you. And when, um, based on your own life, as it changes and morphs, cause every day is different.
0: It's so interesting because, um, I, it usually will only work on one book. And then today, it wasn't a book that I moved to, but I moved, I'm i doing a solo uh, podcast episode, but I need the transcript in order to know what it is that I'm going to say. And I literally doubled my word count. And I was like, oh, maybe I should work on two different things in a day just so I get more words. Like Because it wasn't like I was tapped out on capacity to write words i was just tapped out of that project for the day so yeah like and and but what kind of what i'm hearing is that in order like uh uh, momentum is everything momentum is king so change iterate or tweak in order to just keep going like that's kind of what i'm hearing and that like i haven't really heard it put like that so i really like yeah that's amazing speaking of fourteen thousand holy shit words a day (laughs) (laughs) just let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Like, but, but not, I don't just want to ask like how you write quickly. I want to know about the system because clearly you have, there must be some elements of your system that really work for you. And I would just love to know about like what maybe the, the best tweaks you've made or like what elements of your system really set you up to win when it comes to word count.
2: All right. So word count for me is well, you know, I have high competition, and I'm an achiever. So both of those things really—it's uh, a curse. They—they they push me to do better and better, right? So it's good, but I've trained myself to write fast. And it's the same way I always like to um liken it to exercise. So I've lost about 70 pounds this year because I have a bulging disc in my back and my doctor was like you need to lose some weight, it will ease some pressure on
0: your back or whatever. Congratulations, by the way. By the way that's thanks. a huge achievement.
2: Thanks. And it's been it's not been easy because I'm in pain quite a lot, but I've changed a lot of things in this last year. But and he said, and P.S., um, you can't stand or sit for longer than 20 minutes. So every 20 minutes you need to be changing. Well, that actually works really, really well for me because I started writing um, in late 20, 2007, really got into it in 2008. And um, I was teaching school and I had little children and I would get them ready for school and we'd have about 10 or 15 minutes before we needed to leave for the bus stop and then I could drive to work after that. And I learned to write in those 10 or 15 minutes. So I would set an alarm on my phone and I would open my computer and they're watching TV. They're ready to go. We're all ready. I have my computer out. I'm writing. When the alarm goes off, they have to go to the bus. Like they can't miss the bus. I have to go to work. It's elementary school. The bell rings. The kids are there. So I learned to write in very short segmented periods of time with a lot of things going on around me. And when people hear that, I think they're horrified because they're like, if I don't have, (laughs) but I, and I want to challenge people, try it. Like, and I don't think people will try it. I've taught a class about this productivity before. And I was like, put a movie on and see if you can write. And they're like, I can't do that. I'm like, but can you, are you sure you can't? Because maybe you can. And, um, I want to challenge people to try to write in a way that they think they can't, because, and, and do it consistently try to do it for you know two or three weeks because you will adapt to to that you will adapt to it even if you have an hour set it for 15 minutes and when the 15 minutes goes off no matter where you are you stop i didn't finish sentences when the it, when the alarm went off it was time to close the computer and be done so i would literally silence the alarm and close the computer mid sentence i still end writing sessions probably half the time mid-sentence because then I'm ready to start the next day. I just, I open it and I'm like, oh yeah, I was writing this and I keep going. So I think some people are afraid they're gonna lose their mojo. They're gonna lose these amazing words that they were going to write. And I'm like, I'm not worried about that. I'm gonna get those words when it's time to get them. So there is no way to second, fin- I need to finish this. So that would be something that I would challenge people to do You know, some people are like, if I'm not in my office with, you know, pearl gray walls and the temperature is 71.2 and then I can't write, I'm like, "Eh, I can write anywhere, anytime. I don't even care what's going on around me. Like I can do anything like, so for me, that's how I learned to write. So for me, it's very innate to just be able to sit and do that. But I think you can train yourself to do it so that's one thing that i would challenge people to do really short 10 15 minute segments force yourself to stop no matter where you are and and trust yourself that the amazingness that you had in your head when the timer went off is going to be there when you come back so that's one thing i tell people another thing i tell people is i never go back and reread what i wrote before i just keep going if i can't remember something that is super crucial i will go back into the manuscript And find what I need. But usually I'm like, yeah, I can't remember if she came home before this or not. I just leave in myself a note. If she's home, you'll need to change this. And I just move on. So my self editor, she has to wait until the book is done. So I've gotten really good at shelving her. She just has to be shelved. Um, I've learned that I am a sprint writer. I really love to sprint. 30 minutes is my sweet spot. I can waste time for about five. And then I go, Elena, you better get your crap together. You have 25 minutes left and you need to write, you know, a whole scene, 1500 words. And I, I like race myself and I see if I can do it. So those are several things that I do to really, really train myself. And then another trick I sort of mentioned already is write in more than one project. So typically what I will do when I'm up against a deadline and I have to write in two projects, or if I'm just really enjoying writing in two projects, have a lot of time, um, I write one project to death and the other one I hold back. So that is, I'll kind of explain that really quickly. So project A is my push project. It has to be done In the next five days, I have 60,000 words to write. So that means I have to write, you know, three or four chapters a day in that project. I'm going to push myself. Even when I think the words aren't there, I'm going to push and push and push to get that done. Then my other book is like a it's almost like a reward it's like a treat that you can have after you get off the treadmill right I love so the push so project the push project is you go you're on the treadmill and you're not stopping till that is a goal is reached the other project is i know this deadline is coming up next week i would like to give myself a little head start so i'm going to write one chapter in this project So typically my push project is three chapters. My, you know, hold back project is one or two, and I can write up to five, six chapters a day when I do that. And then the project that I'm holding back on, I don't allow myself to write more, even if the story is there, because... I just I need the words tomorrow, you know. So, like, I force myself to go. Okay, I know what's coming in the next six chapters, and I'm super excited to write it. So that when I get up the next day, I'm super excited to lay down ten thousand words.
0: Oh, I love this so much, and I really feel like you just gave me permission to move in the direction that I was kind of moving in. Oh, good. You know, on working on two different projects. Like, I was talking to my a couple of friends today, and I was like, and this is the other weird thing. I feel like. This is so ridiculous, but I genuinely feel like I smash the most words when I am brutally exhausted because yeah. I don't bullshit myself. I don't second guess anything. I don't question anything. I'm just sort of mindlessly slapping the keyboard and, yeah. and, and I can never tell the difference between the tired words and the non-tired words. And I like I said to my friends, maybe I really do need to like spend a bit more time writing when I'm actually really tired. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I mean. I do the same thing when I'm up against
2: the wall, I'm like, I have to get this done. There is no more, oh, I think I'm going to watch this show or I think I'll do a puzzle or no, it's like you get the, you get it done. You have to do it. There's no more room to not do it.
0: Oh, I love this so much. Okay, one of the um, things that I loved in your, uh, well, clearly I loved all of the things, but well, let's talk about the Vegas talk that you did. Um, so this is more mo- now moving into like launch tactics and um, there's a thread here, like all of the, the permission and the empowering. And I loved how many different like techniques that you use, how many different um, like ideas and innovative ways of thinking about launching and, and marketing and, and all, all of the things. So basics first, Um, I wondered if you could just briefly explain the difference between rapid release and publishing fast, which is point A. And then kind of point B was just to talk a little bit about your uh, tiered marketing system for launches. Sure.
2: Sure. So publishing fast to me is publishing books quickly that whatever that looks like for you, but most of the groups that I see, um, people saying, how soon should I release books? Cause everybody wants to know, right? Like we want a checklist of if you release every 22.7 days, you will be a millionaire by September 17th. Right? So everybody wants that. And that's what I see people saying is you have to publish every 30 days, every three weeks. And to me, that's just publishing fast. And I don't want this to sound crass or anything, but anybody can do it. Anybody can publish fast. It's not special and it's not a guarantee of success. Um, People who have found success publishing fast and they stick by it and they don't like it when I say that because I'm kind of a kind of, you know, right wing or left wing, one of the wings where I'm like, I don't believe that. I I don't think that's true. Um, I think you can find success other ways, but they they are committed to every 30 days. And they believe if they don't publish every 30 days that they won't be as successful. And I just don't believe that. They are actually doing more than just releasing a book. They think they're not. And it kind of goes back to this adage that we always hear of the best marketing strategy is writing the next book, which I also think is hogwash. The best (laughs) marketing strategy is planning and executing a marketing strategy for your books. Um, no. <laughs> but, i mean you've heard that right, right. Sasha? i mean you've heard that yeah everyone says oh well, don't release until you have three books and you know the the best marketing strategy is writing another book i'm like no it's not the best marketing strategy is planning and executing a marketing strategy um so publishing fast to me is just putting books out you're just publishing quickly um There might be people who think that's all they're doing, but they're not. They're doing marketing strategies behind that. They just don't think they are. They think the publishing of the book is the marketing strategy. So I don't think that's true. A rapid release strategy is a marketing strategy that you go into going with a plan. I'm going to release a book every other month, once a quarter, twice a year. I don't care what it is, but you go into that series or into that, I do everything in a series. So it's really easy for me to say with this series, I release every three months with this series, I do every other, With this one I do every six. That's my marketing strategy is a timed release strategy of a certain specific consistent release. And I have marketing strategies behind each release and each book as it comes out. Which kind of speaks to the tears, um, so I guess we can move into that. But so rapid release is not contingent upon um, fast. I, that's important to to note. Publishing fast is is fast. It has to be fast. It has to be three every two weeks, three weeks, four weeks is what I would say. People would say rapid release can be twice a year. It's not contingent on doing something close together. It could be once a year. Although I think that's more of a trad model. And um, as Indies, I would I would probably do twice a year. So I have a series that I'm putting out twice a year, one book in June, one book in December. Book four comes out this next June. So that is my rapid release strategy it is a marketing strategy for those books. Um, and it's, a six month strategy. I wanted to try and see if a six-month strategy could still make me money. And PS it can. Yay, <laughs> so that, this you're is encouraging. A, right? A- <laughs> <laughs> like if you're not a fast writer, which is a hundred percent awesome, and you should lean into that instead of feeling bad about yourself. It's another thing I think that people get down on themselves about is oh my gosh i'm not a fast writer so therefore i'm never going to be successful i just don't think that's true you know i think i have a day job i'm busy my husband's busy this that the other um that's fine you lean into what you can do so and i don't mind sharing my numbers because that's just the kind of person i am but i have those 3 books out now first book came out in december of 20 20. So it's been 16 months. Um, and the books, I just looked on reader links, the books have made $146,500. Those three books, three books in, in 16 months. So I don't know what that is. I'd have to get my phone out and do that math, but it's not a small amount of money, right? Like, so, um, it's almost $10,000 a month, 9,100. $9,100 a month. And it's because I have a marketing strategy behind the things that are going on, behind what everybody else can see, behind the front book that comes out. There is a marketing strategy that is employed over time. So that's the difference between publishing fast and rapid release. Rapid release is a marketing strategy that where you choose what you're going to do for that series Um, and the release and the timing of it and then you plan marketing strategies before during and after the release of each book so that's going to talk a little bit about the tiered uh, approach to launch so I have a three-tiered approach to launch which is um, you know uh, hard medium and soft
0: I did giggle (laughs) when you talked about that in the presentation as well (laughs)
2: like there's nothing rocket science here it's soft medium or hard so um because it kind of tells what you do like a soft launch is like you're sleeping and your book still comes out and you still make money medium launch you do more and in a hard launch you're really really pushing into your launch a lot with a hard launch I do things um with all avenues possible so newsletter reader group art readers giveaways, uh, website stuff, sharing chapters, anything I can to get my book out there, I'm going to do in a hard launch. Um, You're going to spend more money on paid ads, that kind of stuff. But this also talks about later in series books. Um, I typically don't have book one be a hard launch. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. So I'm, I'm never going to say I never do this. I always do that. It's it just depends on my life, what other books I'm launching, that kind of stuff. But
0: just one quick question here yeah. with your series and you always write write in a series and obviously you write a lot of romance. Are these so are these interconnected standalone? So each one can be read in 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 isolation. Yes. OK, OK, yes
2: they are they're interconnected standalones usually um not usually always connected by a place i will say that those did pretty well for me in 2019 i switched how i wrote and i actually write only in families now or or you know found families like a friendship group so everything is family-based core-based and, and it could be a found family instead of like a blood-related family um And, um, I actually write back and forth, forward and backward throughout the timeline. So, um, book one, always, you will have someone from book one, either the hero or the heroine who will narrate in every book moving forward. So that's usually my cowboy. It's usually my patriarch in my family. And he will narrate in every book moving forward. His you know, love interest His that they get married. His wife becomes the matriarch of the family, right? And she will narrate quite often. I won't say every book because I'm not sure she's in every book, but she will narrate quite often as well. And so you will follow that first, the couple in the first book um, extensively. You will follow them from beginning to end in the series, they narrate through the whole thing. So if people are interested in kind of looking at that, you should look at my Shiloh Ridge Ranch series. That's the series that I really did that the most with. Um, I did it with Seven Sons as well. Seven Sons started in 2019, and that is how I write now. So everything is fluid forward and backward. So it is a standalone romance in book one, but you will see book one people in every book moving forward. Um, and then we also I introduce to you um, characters in book one, four books two, obviously two, and usually three and sometimes four. I always introduce my tortured hero in book one and I save him for books six, seven, eight, whatever, because my readers are gonna bond to that tortured hero and they're gonna show up in droves to read his book. So I know when that book comes out. Um, I always schedule that one to be a soft launch for me personally, because I don't need to do anything to launch the book. Um, the writing, um, and the hero himself inside the book is going to launch the book for me. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. It really does. It's fucking genius.
2: (laughs) Yes. And so that has really helped my cells a lot in the last couple of years. And I did, I did do a video on it in my group. So if people want to go over there to that, they can kind of watch that. But uh, that's what I do now. So I always have a tortured hero he will narrate in every single book leading up to his and his is usually later in the series. And that's always, always usually a soft launch because for me personally, I don't have to do anything, but write the books in, in order to
0: launch that book really well. Well, it's It's the golden Easter egg.
2: Yes. It's the golden Easter egg. And if you can find what that is within your brand, um, then put it as book six or seven. And then you don't have to do anything to sell that book except write books one through five, you know? And, <sighs> and write and write them. And isn't that the goal? Like it's zero dollars. You're writing the books anyway, you know? So, and I will, I, I treat later in series books, every single one of them gets a launch tier and then they get things applied to them that they're going to do. So that series, I was talking about this every six months, I got a book club feature deal on it at the beginning of May, and it's going to be free for the first time in 16 months. And I'm doing that because book four comes out in late June. So I am pushing people to book four by putting book one free. So book four is going to be a hard launch. And I know that. So I'm going to be sharing chapters and talking about that. As soon as I hard launch my book in May, I'm going to be focusing on my June 28th book for hard launch also but I'm not just focusing on book four and a yelling about book four, book four, book four, book four. four. I am counting on book one, two, and three to sell book four. So I need to get people into book one, and I'm gonna do that with a book bub featured deal at free. If I couldn't get a book bub featured deal, I would book as much as I could on that free book. It's never been free before.
0: I've so- literally just used this tactic. I have book three and four coming out, and book <laughs> one is currently free. I got a book bub and then like booked all the others every like six, five to six days for as long as I could we'll see if it works and listeners you'll get the uh, the analysis yeah. once it's done but When's um
2: And I do want to just say, like, it doesn't always have to be book one. Like if you could analyze your data, everyone's always asking me, like, how do you, how do you analyze what's working and not working? Like, well, I look at my read through, if I have a series of like seven books and people are dropping off at book four, I would put book four at 99 cents or free because I can get my lukewarm people back. If I reduce the price of that book right? Or book five, make book, f- the book after where they're dropping off, make that one 99 cents and then free. And I would, I mean, it's a year long tactic, 99 cents first, six months later free. So, you know, bring people back into the series. Your lukewarm people that read books one, two, three, and four, and then dropped out, get them back, get them back with book five you know, put that one on sale or put book four on sale or bundle something together to get them past that thing that they're dropping off on. Um, Not everything is about new readers. You have other types of readers that you've got to bring back to you if they're dropping off. So the putting books on sale, that you can do that in your launches if you're doing a rapid release strategy that's not, you know, every two weeks. Um, so if you're a little more thoughtful about your marketing, you can, you can find those places and bring those people back to you.
0: I can't believe that we are basically at an hour. I, I've got it. Cause this has just been the most interesting. And like, I think everybody is going to be, have burning pens because they've been writing <laughs> so many notes, but I want to ask one last question, quick, one last quick question before I ask the ultimate podcast question. Um, and I, it's just a mindset question really. I loved, I think my favourite thread of yours that I've ever read was your recent one where you talked about how you assessed all of your series. And it was just... I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that post and just like for people who haven't heard about it, what I found so inspiring was the, the numbers, the number of series when things happened. And I think it's a lesson that people need to hear just about how much you have to do in order to, to like make this work. Yeah. So I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, sure. So I was getting a bunch of stuff ready for a big launch I was doing and Um, I was trying to link, you know, where am I going to send people at the end of this series? Oh, I should send them to this series or I should send them to this series. I have some series that are connected, right? So it got all convoluted in my head and I wrote all my series down on a piece of paper. And as I started writing, I was like, I thought I had 21 series. Like I even put on my Facebook, a personal Facebook post. It's my 21st series. It was not, it was actually my... I mean, if I'm going to go all the way back to all of my trad trad pub and everything, it was my 32nd series. I didn't even know it. And I started looking at all of them and I was like, wow, this one did really good. This one did really good. These others, they're not awful. I was still making a good living, but I definitely have some that I call racehorses. And I, I, I want to make sure that I attribute that term to uh, Nicholas Eric. I took a bunch of courses from him and have read some of his books and he talks a lot about donkeys and racehorses. And so I, that really resonates with me. And so I have kind of adopted that and talk about how some of my series are just racehorses. They are strong. They have long legs. They run hard. They run fast. They win. They are beating uh, all the other things that I am doing. Right. And they kind of do it out of the gate just because they're bred well. Because um, we want to think that we can wave a magic wand and make a donkey into a racehorse, and you can't really. You can dress him up, and he can sell better for a while, but he's not going to really be a racehorse. So what I did in my post in my group was I realized that it took me... All the way to series eight under my, my main name that makes most of my money is Liz Isaacson. And she was doing fine before this eighth series came out in 2019. It was the seven sons. And I kind of mentioned it where that's when I switched over to writing and families. And uh, sort of keeping people in the books, not uh, only the couple, but I think I looked up once in book four, which is my tortured hero, because it's my first series, I would now put my tortured hero later in the series. But, you know, when you're experimenting, and it's the first time you're doing it, my tortured hero was book four, and I noticed he sold Outsold far and away anything else I'd done. And so um, that was my seven, that was my eighth series. So I wrote seven full series of books that were okay, that were okay. And they were making money. But then when this eighth series came on, it was a racehorse. And I was like, holy cow, I've done it one out of eight, right? So that was my Liz brand. I looked at my Elena brand and it was the same thing. Uh, It was about my eighth series. I've taken down a couple of series now from Elena. Um, But it was her eighth series that was like, here you go. Now we're going to really take off for you. And that can be a variety of reasons, paying more attention to the market, um, finding what works for you in one brand and kind of moving it over to another brand, that kind of thing. But I just really realized that it takes... A lot of I persistence know. and patience and you might think you've written something that's really amazing and it's completely on market and you put it out and you realize it's market adjacent. I have a post about that in my group as well. Um, and so what I do when I'm looking at it to assess what is and isn't working is I look at how excited people are about the next book um, at full price. So pre-orders for me are a huge indication of whether or not people are excited about the series and the book and want to keep reading it. Um, I pay attention to my reader group. I don't post there. My assistants do. But I go into the group and interact because you remember, I'm the forward front of the brand and I interact with them and. One thing that I noticed them starting to do specifically with my Shiloh Ridge, which came out after my seven sons, it was actually my 11th series. Oh, nope. Sorry. Seven sons was nine. Sorry. One out of nine Shiloh Ridge was 11 or 10. Yeah. Nine, 10. Yes. 11. Um, They started calling themselves things. So the surname in my Shiloh Ridge series is Glover and they were calling themselves Glover lovers. And I was like, This is coming from them, not from me. Right. So that was a way where I was like, holy cow, this is working. Like, whatever I'm doing inside these books is working. And so I asked them what they like about it. And I asked them what they don't like about it. And I asked them what they wish they could have. If I like, I will, I'll get on sometimes and I'll be like, hey, I have a few extra weeks in my schedule. What book do you want me to write? So if you have a Patreon or something like that, you could ask people there. I don't have a Patreon, so I'm using my Facebook reader group for that. And boy, will they tell you what they want. And they will tell you what they like, and they will tell you what they don't like. So I ask them those things, and then I compare that to the actual money. Because sometimes readers will tell you something like, oh, I want more of this, but then they don't show up to buy or read it. So it's not always true. And you have to, you are the business owner. You are the one with all the data and the knowledge and and have things coming at you from all sides. So you get to decide if what they're saying is really true. Like if they're saying, oh, we want more small town romance we don't want a rom-com, but your rom-coms are outselling your small town 10 to one, then you write a rom-com because they're showing up with dollars, right? Okay. So I assess it kind of in different ways. A lot of it is, it's not quantifiable, but I definitely am looking at the numbers. And I just looked at my uh, Seven Sons. We We have a staff meeting every Thursday and I looked at Seven Sons last week. And my read through on Seven Sons is legit 100% from book one to book two is like 101%, which doesn't make any sense other than it doesn't have the little thing that says don't show free, right? So I'm like, okay, people who are paying for it are reading it, um, but it just is, I can, I, the read through is far higher on the Bracehorse series. So I know they're doing better. They've made more money in far less time than any other series. Um, I have people talking about them calling themselves things, Um, we, some space thing came up and all of my Shiloh Ridge men have nicknames. So the hero's first name is bear, but his real name is Bartholomew, stuff like that. Weird names. I have a guy named cactus, like weird stuff. (laughs) I love this so much. They, they love it. The readers love it. Somebody posted about some space program. His name was Victor Glover, like a real person in real life. And they posted it in my reader group and said, I wonder what his name would be if he was a, if he was at Shiloh Ridge Ranch. And so then everyone was putting, and it always starts with the same letter. So Bear and Bartholomew, Cactus and Charles, like it always starts CC because I had to do that for my own sanity. Yeah. Um, And so they were like, I wonder what his name would be. His name's Victor Glover. And they were coming up with all these V names. And I'm like, I don't even know what this is. I don't even need to run this group. So I can kind of watch that and ask them questions and look at the numbers and mesh them together. And that's how I decide what is a racehorse and what isn't.
0: Amazing, thank you so, so much for your time today. I have just one last very quick question. This is the Rebel Author podcast. So can you tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel? Like in publishing,
2: I was going to ask you if it's in publishing, it, it can be anything. Thing. So I get okay. all
0: kinds of stories, all
2: <laughs> kinds of stories. I'm going to be super tame. Um I <laughs> thought of I thought of one in publishing that I am kind of a rebel where I just do whatever I want when it comes to KU and wide. And some people don't like that. They want you to all be wide or all in KU. And I'm like, I am not gonna do that. I'm gonna be a complete rebel and I'm not gonna put one whole brand in KU or wide. I'm gonna do whatever I want that serves my business and my books and my series the way I think they should be served. So I have a bunch of books wide and a bunch of books in KU, kind of mixed all over throughout my whole brand. And it feels very rebellious.
0: (laughs) Amazing. Oh, I love it. Can you tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books and anything else that you would like to add?
2: Yeah. The very best place to find out about um, stuff, authorly stuff and connect with me as an author is in my Facebook group. It's Indie Inspiration with Elena Johnson. Um, I've got the four indie books out and uh, I don't really do a lot on my, my author pages for readers. My personal profile is for personal. If you want author stuff, author advice, my thoughts about authorly things and writing, it's Indie Inspiration with Elena Johnson.
0: Thank you so, so much. This has genuinely been absolutely amazing. And of course, a big thank you to all of the show's listeners and an enormous thank you to all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You were listening to Elena Johnson, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by Mary Buckham, and we are going to be talking all about active settings, how to make your settings richer, deeper, how to engage your characters with settings. Of course, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I won't do as much of an intro next week, but I will be back the following week to normal. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.